Welcome along to From the Resort Podcast, episode number 15. That's another one today. It's the 13th of May, 2021. I'm here uh, sort of in a precinct of uh, Queenstown where they're starting to do a bit of uh, development. Uh, but been here for about a year is, or more is, is iFly. Uh, and here, the uh, I guess, the front man in charge of iFly Queenstown, Matt Wong. Welcome along to the podcast, Matt. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. It's... Uh... Yeah, it's going to be an interesting exercise going through a podcast. Yeah, no, it's very interesting. So I guess how we start these podcasts, Matt, is a bit of background of where you come from. Uh, so whereabouts were you born and where did you sort of live up, live early in childhood, family life? What was that like? Yeah, well, um, everyone looks at me and they, they can't quite figure out what my uh, my nationality is, where I came from. So I'm six foot Asian Chinese chap, 100% Chinese. So 100% Chinese. <laughs> born in China? Not born in China. I was uh, fourth generation Chinese New Zealand. Okay, so in New Zealand. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in the Wadarapa in a little place called Greytown. Um, and back back when I was growing up, it was a very sleepy old town, a lot of orchards, like a market gardens. So my parents were uh, traditional market gardeners, as, as the Chinese trade was. And um, we, we grew up different. I was the only Chinese or Asian family that we were in our, in our community. Uh, apart from our cousins down the road um, and I always wondered why we did things slightly differently to the other families that were out there um, and I used to come home from school uh, and the first thing I'd do is drop my backpack um, try and grab a bite to eat and then I'd be out in the fields uh, I'd be picking up pumpkins I'd be shifting irrigation pipes or um, we would be planting new new vegetables for the next crop and uh, now I look back at it and I think, geez, that's bloody smart slave labour, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and uh, so that was my upbringing, is we were taught from an early age, you work hard and you don't stop working. So to explain with the audience where, where that sort of is in relation to New Zealand, what, what about uh, yep. specifically? Um, so Greytown and the Wadarapa is, is about an hour and a half from Wellington, so it's yep. on the, the east coast of the bottom of the, of the North Island. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was, it was a great little place. I, think, I don't think I appreciate it when I was young. Uh, country town that's really sleepy um, but as you grow up you sort of start to appreciate some of the quietness of of, uh, of life yeah for sure so uh, I guess you would have had a few brothers and sisters I'm just guessing but yeah yeah um, so I am the youngest of four yeah uh, and we're all two years apart and uh, I've got I've got three older sisters so I was very much henpecked from an early age um, and uh, I've always had women in my life that probably sounds a bit quite bad doesn't it but I appreciate um, what they they can offer and uh, the diversity I guess and and that becomes quite topical now in business but for me that was just natural that you took orders from women (laughs) yeah that makes sense you can't go too wrong no no. taking orders from women so yeah no that's that's very very good so with your uh, sisters at the moment do they still live in New Zealand or are they sort of uh, gone somewhere else yeah I've got one in Melbourne uh, and two in Wellington they've all sort of gone off done their thing and then come back again and um, they uh, they all did uh, sort of traditional Chinese trades, lawyer, accountant, yep. nurse, those sorts of things. Um, and I was the complete opposite of that. I uh, I didn't do the traditional Chinese trades that you would expect. So tell me, what, what did you sort of, uh, before we get into the trades and stuff like that, what about, um, what about, what sport did you sort of get into growing up? Was there anything you... Uh, yeah. rugby or what did you no, no. Well, I was I was built for rugby, uh, yeah, and uh, I was quite happy to play rugby and league and all that sort of stuff. And my parents actually, um, 
they, they actually weirdly enough, my parents don't look like me. Um, <laughs> I do wonder whether I'm adopted at times because I'm I'm over six foot and they are just barely over five foot. Um, and they always steered me away from playing rugby because it was too dangerous. Yes. Yeah. Ironically, I ended up playing um, field hockey. Yep. Um, and I almost died playing it. So how did you, how did that happen? Then? How did you almost <laughs> die playing? Hockey. Is this as a child? Or? It was uh, actually in my university days. I was uh, in the Massey University uh, hockey team, um, yep. the, the B grade, and um, we I ended up getting a, a hockey stick to the throat. Yep. Anyway, landed on the ground and it basically crushed my windpipe and uh, and was rushed to oh, hospital sorry. in ambulance. So anyway, so if uh, if you think hockey and field hockey especially is a soft sport, it's it's still, it doesn't not. sound like it's soft sport. Something like that can happen. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely, definitely it can. You bloody get built in the in the shins as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, um, you know, the, the good thing about team sports though is that um, it actually gives you a whole heap of skills in business too. Yeah. You know, uh, when you look at a sport of any kind, and you're looking for high performance, you're looking for teamwork. It, it all comes into play in a different mm. way, but uh, but the same skill set is applied to business. Yeah, okay. So hot field hockey, um, and then any other sort of, uh, I guess, hobbies growing up or any other sports? Yeah, when I was growing up, I was always going to be a conservationist. <laughs> I have a degree in uh, zoology and ecology and a master's oh, in ecology. That sounds very interesting. Yeah, and, uh, you know, when I was a kid... I was a bit of an oddball. Um, I was a member of the Ornithological Society of New Zealand, which is the study of birds. Uh, I had this yes. real interest in birds of prey or raptors, so I joined the Raptor Association in New Zealand, and that was sort of when I was only seven or eight years old. Wow. Uh, I was Junior Ornithologist of the Year in New Zealand and all sorts of things. And I, and I actually ended up hanging out with a whole heap of people that were over 50, over 60 years old. And so actually they turned into great mates of mine and mentors. But what it taught me was actually relationships with all demographics of people. But anyway, my passion was uh, was conservation and that was where I was going to be. And from you know a very early age right through till uh, probably 25 years old, that's all I had, had thought about doing and becoming. Um, and then it's interesting to see how your life evolves from what you think you want to do as a kid to where you actually end up. Yeah, a couple of things there. Uh, interesting, um, you would have been good on our trivia night last night. Orphanologist, <laughs> that was a question. <laughs> What's that a study of? And yeah. birds. Is the yeah, answer. ornithology, absolutely. Yeah, so, uh, so that was quite interesting. You would have been probably good at trivia, yeah, trivia team. <laughs> But um, conservation, so that's interesting. I mean, we, another person we had on the podcast, uh, Aaron Fleming. Do you know Aaron? Yes, yes. So he's obviously big on, on conserv- he works conservation. Conservation, yeah. Is it DOC or, yeah, what are they called? DOC. Department of Conservation? Yeah. 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 So he's, he's quite interesting as well. So, yeah, conservation. So you've, that's so that's been a big part of what you, I guess, went to, sort of growing up, yeah, sort of this, those sort of things. Um, you did study zoology. Whereabouts uh, did you go to uni then? To yeah, so I, I spent all of my crazy uh, university years at Palmerston North and Massey yep. University. Um, it was the place to be for science, um, and um, and so I picked the university based on that. It was actually more of an agri- agricultural sort of university at the time, and, and uh, we also had a vet school there. So I actually ended up lecturing a lot of vets and helping them through their first year. Did and you ever sort of work in a vet at all? No, no, never. I never had an interest in working in a vet clinic. Um, okay. I always wanted to be out in the field, um, yeah. working with wild animals and yeah. chasing that dream. 
Um, and that actually ended up, when I'd finished my degree, I ended up going to the States for a while, um, and I worked on the Appalachian Trail uh, in a sanctuary called Hawk Mountain, um, and uh, we were studying migratory birds of prey coming from, from the north, migrating south. And so, you know, there was a fascinating time in, in your life where you've got no ties, no commitments, no no roots put down yet. Um, so how old were you when you went to the States? Uh, I was 24 years old. Okay. Yeah. So uh, a few years ago now. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So, what, so your overall experience working over there in, in that sort of role, in those sort of roles, um, what, uh, I guess, what sort of, um, what, what are some of the experiences that, that sort of stick out to you from that time there and, and uh, I guess what you learned about that experience? Yeah, I, I think um, what I learned about that period is there's a whole heap of uncertainty in your life when you're in your sort of early to mid-twenties and you really don't have a clue what you want to do or where you want to go. That was my experience anyway. And you, you can understand why people travel and want to explore and see new places and new cultures. And, and it was perfect for that. Um, but what it also did is it, it made you realise how important home was and, and made you really appreciate where home was. Yeah, OK. And New Zealand was always the place I wanted to come back to. And, and I realised that by going offshore to the States and, uh, and, um, and travelling around different various places as well. Um, so I've actually missed out on that big... Um, OE, I'm a, we, we think about Kiwis especially and probably Aussies as well as you go to, to England and you put your roots down and you go and work in London and for a big corporate and you uh, spend all your time there and you make good money and you get great commercial or corporate jobs and then you come back and retire. Uh, I never did any of that. Um, so you know, my whole approach to, to, I guess, career and development through the last 20 years has been quite unorthodox. Okay, so with the States, um, how long would you actually spend over there when you were sort of living, working? Yeah, I was only there a year, um, yeah. and we were with a bunch of academics, um, so a bunch of scientists um, and, and some very esteemed scientists as well. Um, actually, I'd, I'd spent a, a decent amount of time at university getting my uh, graduate and, uh, and master's degree and then going off to the States and studying as well. And, and part of what put me off sort of the academia background was was I looked at the people and sometimes I couldn't actually adapt to society, the, the real world. Mm. Um, and I sort of felt that there needed to be more more to life than just studying books and, um, and research. So um, I sort of gave all that up, came back and got a real job. So tell us about this real job that you got when you came back then. Yeah, well, I was still in conservation to be fair. Um, I followed um, one of my heroes within the conservation scene, Martin Bell. So Martin Bell had a lot to do with conservation back in the in the 80s and he um, worked on a lot of um, protection of a lot of wildlife species and recovery programs for, for a lot of the endangered species at the time. Um, and so I wanted to work with this chap in particular. He was at the Kiwi and Birdlife Park just, just here in Queenstown. And, um, so was it actually down here when you came back? or did you? Yeah, was, yeah, it was here. here. And, okay. um, and the only reason I was attracted to Queenstown mm. was because of the one man, Martin, Martin Bell. Okay. Crazy, isn't it? So, um, you know, I wanted to learn off him and, and uh, get some real life experience from, from that. Um, and uh, weirdly enough, he only lasted three months in that position and then he decided to leave. So I sort of, I was at an end. So I, was, I was sort of thinking, I've just made a move and that's probably the wrong one. And what do I do now? And um, I sort of lost, lost 
a little bit of traction with the conservation conservation work I was doing. Yeah. It was it was becoming very commercialised, yeah. and and when you spend, you know, the first quarter of your life thinking, you know, I want to save the planet, mm. and then realise that actually uh, we we have to save the planet, but we're going to make a buck off it as well. Yep. Um, I think that's where I came to a, a dead end with my work in conservation and my whole career in conservation, and then you start questioning, what am I going to do next? I've just spent all of my life studying one thing um, and I don't know where I'm going to go now mm. um, but I was sitting in Queenstown and I had met my now wife at the Kiwi and Birdlife Park yeah, okay. um, and so I was, I was sort of quite happy I was, as I said I was sort of still in my 20s thinking oh well I'm still young yeah. <laughs> Let, let's just stay here for a while and see what happens and that's yeah. what you can sort of do you, again you had no ties no mortgages anything like that um, so I stayed and if you stay in Queenstown too long you end up in tourism and that's where I am today. So some of those, uh, I guess, obviously, you didn't just move into IFY. So tourism, what, what were some of the f- uh, first things you got involved in, in the tourism side of things? Yeah, um, well, you know, part of the Kevin Birdlife part, we were dabbling with tourism. We were doing yep. advocacy work. Yep. We were working with the public all the time. But my first real job in tourism, I sort of fell into it. It was at the Eyesight Visitor Centre um, in Queenstown in the CBD. <laughs> And if you think back almost 20 years ago, um, bricks and mortar visitor centres were hugely important to the international market that was coming in. Mm. And it was quite popular and we were doing extremely well. So I got thrown in the deep end, I guess, as the junior on the counter. I didn't really know anything about Queenstown tourism or products. And all of a sudden I found myself in a selling role. Um, and I had to be knowledgeable about all the Queenstown activities and accommodation and, and build itineraries for customers coming in and actually convince them to buy a product. And and um, I actually found I was quite good at it. Um, and that came through just, I guess, natural ability to talk to people. Um, and that came through that advocacy work in the States and, and conservation and, and then further on here in, in Queenstown. Um, and I had... You know, we, we talked earlier about teamwork and sports yeah. and, and those sorts of things, and I developed a lot of those soft skills that I guess you require as a leader. And, um, you know, within a very short amount of time, a couple of years, um, I was thrown into that general manager role. So I'd, I'd been supervisor and, and all those other sort of smaller leadership roles within Eyesight Visitor Centre prior to that. Um, but then the opportunity came very quickly, and I was thrown in the GM role. That was the first time, actually, that um, I was in too deep. <laughs> so what do you mean you're in too deep? I mean, obviously, you, you, when you sort of career, you, sometimes if, you want, if you've got aspirations, you get to that level where you, you could be a general manager. Or so so mm. why, why would you say you're in too deep? Um, you know, my whole life leading up to that point, mm. I was happy managing animals. Yeah. Right? Now you have to manage um, people. Now I've got to manage people. Uh, and and they, at the end of the day, they're still animals, but... You know, there's a lot more complexity, yeah. I guess, to a, to a human being than there is an animal. Um, I've I've now learned since then that actually we're not as complex as we think we are. But there's there's certain things around communication. Um, there's about um, being a leader. I think when you're a new leader, mm. you uh, you work in silos. You do all those those common mistakes that most new leaders do. They think they know it all. Um, they're scared to make a mistake. They don't ask for advice. They don't include their team. They don't communicate that well. I made all those mistakes and, and then some. And it took me a good sort of three to six months to find my feet. Uh, and in that time, you lose a lot of support uh, and you realise you've got to start backtracking and find a new way of leading, right? Um, and so, you know, that first year as the general manager um, was a fascinating journey in terms of 
shaping how I was going to be a leader going forward. I had some really good mentorship from my directors that were in that business. Um, and I also had some um, some good supporters from within the business that, that I was in charge of. And, and they, they weren't necessarily, in terms of title, more mature, but they had seen many, many managers come and go, right. and they'd worked for many of them before, and they gave me some guidance. And I think that was the first thing I realised at that time, was find who your allies are and ask them for help. And and that was so, so critical. Um and yeah, I think that those early days of, of learning to be a general manager really helped set me up for what was to come next. And I actually ended up spending 11 years with that company, mm. and possibly too long. But it was um, it was a good it was a great company actually. And I had two, as I said, really good directors, Peter Guthrie and, and Larry Lumsden. And um, and and now they look back at it, they they shaped a lot of how I manage today, and and um, they, they were a huge influence on me. No, that's, that's excellent. So a lot of stability there, I guess, in that particular um, career move. Um, obviously, your leadership skills naturally going to get better over time as well. Eleven years is a, is a long time to to sort of to be in, sort of in a role leading like that and mm. learning and leading and, and just going through the motions of what, what what's actually happening. You know, in Queenstown, it's 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 going for a period of of growth, mm-hmm. um, popularity when it comes to tourism. Um, so you would have seen a lot of, you know, compared to how, to where, uh, you know, Queenstown was when you first got here to the last, you know, five or so years and then, you know, where we are today. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly changed in some respects, but in other ways it's, it's stayed the same. Um, you know, I think we're at the, the crossroads and it's up to us to decide which way we want to go with it. We can either get left behind or we can be the, at the forefront of the way we want tourism to be and the way mm. we want our visitors and our community to, to perceive tourism going forward. Um, and and it's, it is going to be a challenge. You know, when, I, when I bought iFly um, recently, um, everyone thought I was absolutely nuts. Um, but so I, it's a very bold move. I mean, so how long ago did you buy iFly? It wasn't in the last. It was in the last couple of years, wasn't it? Oh, mate, it was only in the last few months. Um, so I know you worked here before then. Yeah. So yeah, I guess after iSight, I was, I was running a travel agency business as well as, as a sort of a co co business of that. So looking after both of them, and then I moved to uh, helicopters. Um, okay. So I was, I was general manager of a helicopter company. Um, which was then bought by Naitahu Tourism, which is one of the biggest tourism players here. Um, I learned a huge amount about operations, um, but um, I wanted a bit more autonomy and freedom to, yes. to make some decisions. Uh, and I also wanted to eventually start up my own business. Mm. And so what better way to sort of learn the ropes about startups than to play with someone else's money, not yours. So that was the whole idea, I guess, from my end jumping into launching iFly and I was the general I was employed as the general manager for for iFly uh, indoor skydiving in Queenstown so that was end of 2018 we launched August Um, and yeah nearly coming up to three years yeah nearly coming up to three years it was an American owned company it still is Um, iFly the brand uh, Sky Venture is the company but they've got um, bases everywhere there's 87 tunnels all around the world uh, but Queenstown in New Zealand was their first ever uh, tunnel for, for this country. Um, and, and it's very different from the way other tunnels are and the, the way markets are, etc. Um, and so that first year of launching was, uh, it gave me a huge insight to how startups 
work. Um, yeah. But we had also a lot of the legacy uh, agreements and, and systems and processes in place from, from iFly in the States. So we had to sort of try and navigate uh, how we were going to cope with taking on these legacy systems which weren't fit for purpose here. Um, and we also had to convince uh, our owners at the time that Queenstown was a very dynamic and very unique market. You know, when you talk about 80% of your business was from international visitors, tourism, yeah. um, versus 100% domestic for, for most tunnels around the world. Um, and we have agencies and we have tour guides and buses that um, that get paid commission and all sorts of things. It was just a completely new to them. And so there was a lot of convincing them that we had to do it a certain way here to yeah. make it work. Um, and it was a very rocky start. Um, but that, I guess that's the challenge of startup. I think any business that goes into it, uh, any startup business has those challenges to them. Definitely. And we learned a huge amount. You know, even after sort of uh, 15 years when I sort of started um, iFly, even after that long in tourism, there's still a whole heap that I still needed to learn in, in startups. I, I learned so much in the last two and a half years than I've probably learned my whole career. Um, and it was it was challenging, but it was fun. You know, part of the reasons why I moved from uh, 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 as a helicopter company, as I said, in Naitahu Tourism, mm. but that was a, a very secure job, great income. Um, why would you move from that to a, a startup, risky business, launching in a, a saturated market? But I wanted to do that so I could see if I could test my metal and, and launch a business from scratch in a saturated market. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and then uh, so we. we as I said, 2019 was a tough year. We finally got our formula right by 2020, and then then COVID smacked us. So uh, yeah. yeah, that was another interesting exercise. Yeah, definitely. So I mean, I fly, as you said, 87 tunnels around the world. Uh, we've got one. There's one, you know, nearby in Brisbane where our office is, um, the accounting office. So that's just up the road there. There's one at Chermside Shopping Centre. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're obviously an interesting uh, thing. You see, the, the, you know, the ben, you, you would have seen them over in Vegas or anywhere in America. They've got these different types of, um, t- you know, tunnels and stuff like that. So as far as, have you sort of found, um, I mean, going forward from here on out, now that the bubble's open, um, and tell us a bit about, you obviously started as the general manager, but now you say you sort of now own the business. Mm. How, tell us about the transaction of, not, I mean, I guess how it came about, you know, you sort of said to these you sort of said to these guys, I'll take over the, the business and the, the sort of, a, you know, how did you sort of come to that? Yeah, I'm not, it's, it's, I, I've been fortunate in my career to have some great um, mentors that were also my directors at the time. And um, Simon Ward actually is one of my directors um, before I purchased it. And he was fantastic at, at mentoring me. But, um, you know, we were, had very honest conversations at times. And, and I always said to him that, you know, once I got iFly up and running that, I'd, I'd want to do my own startup, or I'd want to go and find a different job or career or position within another company where it challenged me. Yeah. And and so he sort of suggested, would you be interested in buying the business? And part of that was, um, you know, it works really well in the states and the UK and some of these larger markets where you can put multiple scalable uh, businesses in place. But in New Zealand, it's such a small market; mm. it's quite hard to scale up. And as I said, it's quite a unique uh, market in its own right. So. They had some challenges to have this one tunnel, one business in one country and, and you know the costs associated with just operating the one business. Yeah. So it makes more sense for them to franchise it out and, and let it loose, so to speak, and yes, yeah. let a, a local person own it and yeah. run it how they need to run it and knowing the, the very um, interesting nuances of that market really well, uh, it was a great opportunity for them to go, 
we want a flagship in Queenstown for sure, but we don't need to own it. Um, yeah. Let's let's get the best of both worlds by having the flagship, but let the local guy own it and run it run it better than we can. So that's sort of how it all developed. Yeah, it? it was it was a long process, um, but we got there, and and um, you know, COVID added added an, an interesting mix of, to it all. Yeah, a lot of extra pain. Yeah. Um, as far as the amount of staff that you have working here and helping, is what, how big is the team here at the moment? Uh, so we've got 15 staff here at the moment. Okay. Um, we scale anywhere from, from 14 to 18 staff, depending on the season. Um, you, know, that, you know, staff have been an interesting challenge and been the saviour of the business at the same time. Okay. Um, we talk about millennials, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I always feared working with millennials, and this is the first... Uh, company that I've managed where I've had to manage millennials. Every other Most business I've worked yeah. for have been either older, the staff have been older than me pretty much. Yeah. And so this one, I hit it a brick wall with, with um, working with younger staff. Um, but uh, actually over time I realised that millennials and young staff are actually no different to any other age group. It's just, you know, they, they want slightly different things, but they still have the same basic human needs as, as anyone else. And if you get the formula right, they actually they offer a, a, an amazing contribution to your business, and they end up saving you during COVID. And it's quite interesting that it's it's very right next to the bird, the Kiwi Life Bird Park. <laughs> Is that sort of a coincidence, considering you used to sort of be there? But... Uh, sort of, sort of. Um, I'll tell you what it was. Um, I moved to iFly. There was a couple of reasons, of course, and and we've already talked about some of them. Yeah. But, one of the driving forces was I've got a couple of young kids. Yeah. And as you get to my age, I'm in my 40s now, yeah. family becomes really important to you. And I was missing out on a heck of a lot of family time and a heck of a lot of uh, my kids growing up and, and okay. um, you know, things like getting to assembly yeah. you know, and, and those special occasions. And um, I can tell you now, my kids go to Queenstown Primary School, mm. which is... Fifty meters away from me right now, yeah. and whenever I want to go and see them or it's go to assembly, easy. I can just walk out the door, and I'm there. Um, and you know that that was part and parcel of it. I live in Fernhill, just five minutes, really, really five good. minutes from yeah. from work. So it's you know lifestyle becomes a, a huge part of of uh, of I guess your life as, as you get older. And we live in Queenstown because mm. we want a lifestyle, mm. um, and so now I'm making it work for me. Mm, that's that's really really good. So I guess the obviously that we um, there will be some challenges going forward. There's no doubt. But tell us about. Um, I mean, obviously, when I, where I met you a few months back was at the chamber a chamber of commerce mm. business after five event. Yeah. Or maybe it was there or something. One of the chamber events anyway. Nonetheless, they're quite good. <laughs> tell us about the Queenstown Chamber of Commerce. What sort of involvement you've had with the chamber since you've been here and. Uh, um, what do you think about? It? I mean, it's, to mm. me, it seems fairly dynamic. Mm. I, I think, honestly, we have got one of the best chambers in the country. Mm. The, they're so proactive, and um, you know, we've got a we've got a new team as well, a new leader coming through. Yeah. And um, you know, the more and more that I'm engaged in the chamber, the more and more benefits I get. Um, yeah. Not direct benefits, but the flow-on effects of it. Um, yeah. And as I said, I mean, they put on some fantastic content. Mm. They um, they engage with their members really well, um, and they actually are really good lobbyists, really good advocates for you know. Really when, when you look at tourism and you look yeah. at what we've done in the last 12, 14 months, and mm. I, I've had a really good relationship with the chamber and uh, with Ruth, and and I've 
they've allowed me to understand how lobbying works and how politics works, which, you know, from, from an outsider's perspective, well away from the, the edge of the tent operators, we tend to get quite frustrated with how slow central government works and yeah. politics of it all. And they help us guide our way through it. And, and I think that's what tourism needs. And a lot of operators, and, and certainly within tourism, I'm guessing, is they don't actually see what happens behind closed doors. And, and once you actually realise how much work is being done by, by the Chamber and, and Destination Queenstown, some of these guys, the more you start to appreciate the wealth and that they provide to us as a community. And uh, it's very easy to, to get frustrated and not understand it, but if you take the time, um, they're working really hard for us. Yeah, no, it's, it's some really good insight as to... I mean, and that's how the Chamber... You know the benefits that you should get out of the chamber is that they they you know make they need to be not only dynamic but they need to they need to um, you know if, if they've got some good lobbying in there mm. that's that sort of helps and mm. a good board I mean the board is always important you know you've got the right people on the board yep. and yep. they're sort of you know pulling themselves pulling the weight and, and, and helping out and making making the experience quite good I mean the events are really really good I'm, I'm looking yep. forward to you know just these events coming up in the next two months I mean, yes yeah you know the the welcome to winter that's that's yeah. coming up that's I'm looking forward to that I think the one thing is they're, they're on point mm. with where the community is sitting and yeah. certainly the business community as well like and in the last 12 to 40 months you needed to understand where we were at because yeah. you know it was a roller coaster but yeah. we were we were evolving through crisis yeah and sometimes you get advice or you get uh, network events or whatever that are behind the eight ball, whereas the Chamber's always looking at what's happening next or where where is the community at and what do we need to deliver that's actually going to benefit them right now. Um, and that's that's due to them getting their, their feet on the ground and actually understanding what's going on. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's obviously a beautiful part of the world. What, I guess, I know as a family man and running this business... <laughs> You probably don't have a massive amount of free time, um, but if you do have free time, what, what do you like to do in, in Queenstown, or what, what do you actually like to do for a bit of recreation? Yeah, I'm a keen hunter and fisherman. Okay, um, so hunting yeah. deer or ducks? Everything, everything, mate. Um, <laughs> I I grew up on a market garden, as I said, yeah. so pest control was one of, the, one of the things that was drilled into us, yeah. and uh, walking around with my dad hunting and fishing and all sorts in the country, it sort of almost gets ingrained in you, and when you when you go to university and whatever and live in town, you start to lose that, but you actually find you, you migrate back to it again, and it's not necessarily the, the hunting and the killing piece that I enjoy. It's, and you talk to any hunter, it's about getting out into the environment and oh, getting yeah. alone and that, that, um, that solace, I guess. And when we talk about mental health and we talk about the effects of mental health and what you should do to, um, to alleviate some of that stress, you look at hunting or, or even hiking or any of the outdoor pursuit stuff, it's all good stuff for managing mental health and stress. Um, I recently got, in, I got into free diving. Um, so, so it's free diving, like jumping out of a plane. What is it? No, no, nothing to do with skydiving at all. It's actually diving. diving under the water. Oh, okay. Right. So um, you hold your breath and you go under the water and you see how deep you can dive and how long you can hold your breath, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I joined that about uh, two when years do they ago. Do that? <laughs> so they actually do that here in Queenstown. Um, so here in the lake, Wakatipu. Yeah, we've got we've got New Zealand female um, champion, free diving champion here. And so we're actually quite fortunate. And the cool part about Queenstown is it draws in some amazing talent. 
and so half of them we don't even know. Do all year cold, round, all year winter. round, mate. Yeah, you got to be quite hard to do free diving. Especially <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, look, we don't free dive in the lake in the winter time, but um, <laughs> but but we 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 go to the coast and we'll we'll dive okay. dive in the coast. And, and part of it is that hunter gather gather a sort of aspect of it as well. So that's sort of partly why I got into it. But I needed a release. I needed something that was going to teach me how to breathe properly and relax. Because in free diving, uh, it's about conserving oxygen. Yeah. So you've got to be able to relax. Yeah. Because if you're stressed or tense, you burn more oxygen. Yeah. Which means you can't hold your breath long enough and those mm. sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and you can't freak out. So you've got to calm your nerves. You've got to calm your mind, and you've got to clear your mind completely. Yeah. Now when you you know, you talk to anyone about mental health and relieving stress, it's all about breathing, it's about apnea, it's about, you know, de-stressing mm. um, and getting out of your mind. Well, that's freediving 101. Um, and so, you know, if anyone's feeling stressed, uh, I uh, encourage you to, to get into freediving because not only is it a, a great sport and, and great camaraderie, right. um, and you can collect, you know, crayfish and power and go spearfishing and whatever, mm. but it's really good for stress relief. Mm. Um, so that's been one of my saviours. Um, so it's sort of in snow season, you go up there and enjoy the snow at all. Yeah, much. absolutely. Now that we've got kids as well, it, it takes on a new dynamic. Yep. Um, I think when you when you live here long enough, um, you go through a period in the first few years where you go skiing all the time, and then you stop. Um, and then when you have kids, you're sort of forced to get back into it, and then you actually realise you, you actually enjoyed it. Yes. You, you find the things that you really loved about skiing. So now, uh, for the last two years, we've taken our kids up there. They're now getting into skiing, and we've got our passes this year, and we now love going skiing. So to the point where I'll encourage my kids not to have a weekend sport so we can all go skiing as a family instead. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's quite unique. You think about Queenstown. There's not many places in, in New Zealand or the world where we have the ability to, within 20, 30 minutes, we're up on a ski field. Yeah. It's, it's kind of amazing. And not, not only sort of one, there's choice of two really mm. close by and even an hour away there's three so, yep that's right exactly uh, and all high quality too yeah yeah all for really, sure really good quality and that's why you get like, why you get um, you know a lot of interest coming from over and you know over the ditch in Australia so tell us about the bubble then yeah uh, how do you think that's going I mean it's obviously open now it's only been open for about uh, under a month and a half or thereabouts yeah uh, two ways um what have you sort of seen since the bubble's been open? Has, has, are you seeing a lot of interest from Australia coming here or is it the sort of people waiting until the start of July or the end of June? Or yeah, um, the, the pattern that we're going to see is we're going to see a scattering of, of Aussies coming across at the moment um, and then uh, the start of school holidays, we're going to go gangbusters. We're going to see a, a lot of volume, especially from families. And then it will probably die off a little bit after those school holidays, but will maintain throughout that winter. So I think we're still going to have a strong winter. Yeah. Um, you know, the reality is, is everyone has still got this COVID mentality of uh, and fear, um, or uh, it may not necessarily be fear of um, catching COVID, but it might be the fear of getting locked, locked somewhere, in probably. somewhere or stuck somewhere. Um, but I think what we're at now is... Uh, you know where people are allowed to work from home a lot more, yeah. and and they don't. I mean, they all went through lockdown, and some of us actually came out of it enjoying lockdown, more family time. You know, appreciate life a bit more. I think now people are going, okay, well, if we get locked in New Zealand, it's not the worst thing in the world, right? And um, the way lockdowns are going, they're, they're locking down for one, two weeks. They're not locking down for eight weeks in a row anymore. So we're, we're slowly learning to live with COVID. 
Um, and I think that the pent-up demand is huge there in Australia, and, and same yes. for Kiwis as well, right? So, um, you know, that, that wave is coming, but we're still going to be quite cautious about it. Um, safety is still going to be a priority, mm. uh, and, but we've just got to learn to live with it. Um, yeah. So I guess let's go to IFY. So what's, what sort of way is this attraction, you know, I guess, being sold in, from the point of view that why would people want to do it? I mean, what, what's, what, what about... I mean, it's obviously there, people who do it, but what are the common things that, you know, if someone comes in, people are coming in, a group, a family, mm. coming and using it. I see that there's some stuff there with, you know, linked to different um, training stuff. Yep. Tell us a bit about how that all works. Yeah, so, you know, with, with any business, you, you look at who your main target audience is, and ours is definitely families. Um, yep. And one of the things we really point out to, to our market is it's for all ages from five years old and up. So all ages, 5 to 105. Yeah. Um, it's for all abilities. So we, we do a lot of all abilities flies here. So they might have a disability, um, you know, missing limbs, those sorts of things. Yeah. And we can fly them in the tunnel as well. Yeah. So it actually gives you a huge amount of freedom. And, and a lot of people think you need to be quite skilled and agile to be in that tunnel. You don't at all. Mm. Um, so that's another thing. Um, and we're in all weathers. So yeah, of course, you know, yeah. when I started up this business, so it's an indoor activity if, as well. no one could really get it. Yeah. They couldn't understand why you would come to Queenstown and go indoors. But everyone sees Queenstown on a blue sky day because that's all the photos you see, right? So all the marketing of Queenstown. Of the time, you, know? you think about it. And then uh, you know, we just hit uh, the last school holidays at Christmas time and it was raining for four days straight. Yeah. Uh, we hit the July school holidays last year. It was snowing for two days at the start of the school holidays. What happened to iFly? We just filled up. Yeah. Um, and everything else got cancelled outside. So... Um, the the other cool thing, and I've always wanted to own a business where you can make money in your sleep, and this is a business where I can make money in my sleep, literally. So we have pro flyers. So these are athletes, or they might be uh, doing skydiving as a profession, or they might be military, and they come in and train in the tunnel. Okay. And so, so offer some training with with some different, I guess, professional. You know. Yeah. Absolutely, groups, yeah. but and we offer them at, at a discounted rate if they buy in bulk. And the deal is, you got to fly after our our tourism market turns off. So that could be anywhere from say five o'clock at night through yeah. to ten o'clock at night. They start and they go through the night. Yeah. So it's pretty cool that you know, as I said, we're one of the few businesses in town where you can literally run all day long and all night. So typically at the moment, let's just this is interesting. I didn't know that this until coming in today. Mm. Um, so look, we look at this particular week. You've got people coming in sort of after hours this week doing that training at the yeah. moment and, yeah. and uh, getting skilled up in different different yeah. types of things that they might use in their, in their thing. Yeah, so the, this week we've got a, uh, a pro-fly camp running. Yeah. Uh, this runs this week and next week. And uh, we knew where our shoulder seasons were. So as soon as school holidays finishes for us, we know it goes quiet. So May, June traditionally is the quietest tourism months uh, in, in the town. Yeah. So we gear up training camps yeah. for the shoulder season so that yeah. we're filling filling the void, if you like. So when the tourists aren't here, we're putting commercial work in. Um, so we've got, uh, you know, we've got accountants, lawyers, judges, photographers, all walks of life who actually like and enjoy jumping out of a plane yep. and skydiving. Yep. But um, what we deliver here, we deliver it a lot cheaper. So yeah, when, yeah, you, when you skydive, I think each sports jump is somewhere from starting from 50 bucks or whatever it is. And it takes you an hour to do a 45-second jump. 
Mm. That's it. So that's all you get, a 45-second free-fall. You can come into iFly and you literally do 45 seconds in 45 seconds here. <laughs> and then we turn the wind up again and you're in there yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. So we can pump out, you know, 30 minutes so of, of free-fall. You save and you save, yeah. and it's just you get the experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so you, the time is cheaper, but you also get to learn one-on-one with a coach and yep, you, can watch, coaching, you, yeah. you can watch your video straight after you've flown yep. and, and the coach will teach you and develop you so much faster and quicker. So that's why we've, you know, over the course of the last sort of two years or so, we've really started to develop that sport and people realise that, hey, if there's a faster, cheaper, more efficient way of learning something, that's what I'm into. Yeah. Uh, and then when they do eventually jump out of a plane, mm. they've got the great skills, the six skills to be able to, you know, yeah. carve in, in the wind and whatever they want to do and show off yeah. to their mates. So, so they've done a bit of practising beforehand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it sort of helps their them get to another level yeah. quicker, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. So I can see a huge benefit there. No, mm. that's, that's that's very very good to know. So I mean that so I can see it's, it is revolutionary. I mean it, I mean these sort of things haven't been around for, you know, too long. I mean if you look at the worldwide picture these sort of tunnels, you know, wouldn't have existed more than a decade ago. In the uh, no, I mean the first ones popped down around about twenty years ago or so. No, not really. And um, you know, it's developed obviously more in the states and uh, in Europe. Um, Asia is still quite sparse on them. Um, there's a few different models, but they're not like the iFly model. Um, you know, I think this is certainly technology, technologically, uh, you know, the most advanced um, system that's out there, and it certainly simulates freefall the, the best. Uh, but you know, you know, we look at the technology and we look at what iFly delivers. Um, we're sort of st- starting to move away from just focusing on that sports jumping side of things because I think that's where you know that's where it developed from from a sports side. Um, but I see it more as a confidence building. You know, we we see first time flyers in the tunnel who would never consider skydiving yeah, in their I'm lives. One of these guys, I've, I've got. <laughs> I've been. I definitely want to have a have a whirl on this pretty mm. soon. I think so. Mm. I definitely want to come because I don't want to jump out of a plane. I'd rather just. Well, you I'd you try you would. Be amazed, or not amazed, how many times we hear that comment. Um, and, and so we've actually got a, one of our our hashtags is skydiving approved by mum. Yeah. And that that's really what it boils down to. Yeah. Is well, my, my wife, she's a she's a bit of a, um, uh, you know, not, not so risk taker, but she like, you know, jumps out of a plane. It's <laughs> taking a risk, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah <laughs> well, hey, look, anything's got risk, I guess it's... Um, you know, it's just, it's just how, how far you want to go. That, have you, when was the last time you jumped out of a plane? Or have you? Um, I have never jumped out of a plane. I'm like you. Yeah. I'm quite happy to stay on the ground. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, that's what appeals to me as iFly. And this is why I can I can market and sell iFly so well, mm. is because, um, you know, I'm the typical parent that I'm I'm targeting. Yeah. Um, yes. Or I'm the typical person, professional that I'm targeting. Yeah. I've got responsibilities and mortgages and those sorts of things. And I've worked in aviation as well. Yeah. So I know the ins and outs of aviation and, and health and safety and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, so for me, I've actually never skydived. I've had the opportunity yeah. to skydive on many occasions. Mm. Um, but I, I fly in the tunnel quite frequently. And uh, what about your kids? Have they been in there and enjoyed the... Yeah, yeah, they love it. It's like kids in a candy store, literally. Uh, they they will come in and they the first thing they want to do is fly. Um, <laughs> so I've actually got to pull them back a little bit. Um, and, and, you know, I'm one of those parents where I want to slowly get them into the business. I want them working in the business eventually, uh, you know, those sorts of things. And But they've got to learn their craft the old-fashioned way, do it, do it through hard knocks and, uh, and lots and lots of hours. So as as you said this earlier, there's been lots of roadworks here. They're doing a bit of 
obviously some construction here around here as well. Um, I fly got in pretty early if it's been here since you know August 2018, been open since then, as mm. I think you said. So it's been sort of open there a while with all these other things getting built. Are you sort of looking forward to this area getting finished and, and, and that's going to make things look a, a bit better for you as well? Yeah, I'm a, I think I, I knew... 2020 was COVID year. Yeah. 2021 was construction year. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we've got construction all around us. But that was sort yeah. of part of the, you know, the, when you look at buying a business, you look at a whole heap of different things, and, and the pros got to got to. So you would have looked at how that development was going to come next next to here, yeah. and the, yeah. you know, the Barbarian's going to be there, and mm-hmm. the, and the um, King uh, Bowl, King, or King, it is. Kingpin, I think it is, yeah. And maybe that's... Um, you know that uh, Max Brenner chocolate yes, place. Yes, 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 so, absolutely. But when you think about, and they also El Camino or something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So people um, want to go to those places to eat and, and then coming just coming across here mm, and enjoy that. So, yeah, and that's and that's an experience in itself. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think well, I mean I've been in this industry now almost twenty years, and the one thing I've always thought was lacking was the adventure activities at night time. You know, when you think about us, we're a winter destination first and foremost. And in the winter, it gets dark by four o'clock and it's freezing cold. So there's not much on offer when the sun goes down and it gets yeah. cold, except you can go out for dinner, you can have a few beers. Yeah. Sometimes you've seen these things now, like the night luge and the night yeah. type yeah. skiing or whatever, but yes. be interesting. When, obviously, it's got to get to ski season first. <laughs> yeah, well, that, well, that's right. And and then, uh, you know, these questions, do you want to actually be outside in the cold at night yeah. or do you want to be indoors in the, and, and outside of that cold and, and in the warm environment and let that fun continue? So that's the advantage I see is, you know, we've got iFly here, we can operate all through the night, we've got next door who and I can see Brecon Street developing into that sort of night venue that, that um, sort of night area and so we've got yeah yeah well we've got the Lakeview development as well which is on the other side of the yeah, cemetery I there gonna, I, spoke to, yeah, I was talking about that on Tuesday that's that's an interest that'll that'll make and that's just not, that's only just over here yeah that's, that's not, right it's a very short. Everything seems to be a short walking distance around. Yeah. Distance. So when it's all finished, it's going to be it's going to be fantastic. And um, you know these, uh, you know that I've seen that these Mexican places over in you know where I'm from, they, they turn it into a bloody you know they, once they put a bar there. They, you know, <laughs> well, yeah, you know that's right. And and you know so, but when you look at all the businesses on oh, yeah. on yeah. on Brecon Street now, mm. uh, we've got our new establishment going in next door with the Temp and Bowling and, and a few other bits and pieces. Kiwi and Birdlife Park. I've just had a look through there. They've got you know fantastic new kiwi aviary in there. Okay. Skyline's investing a sure, huge yeah. amount of money in, into new developments they're, in, in they're their premises. Across, yeah. And then we've got that whole Lakeview development, and we've got a few um, yeah. hotels there. Uh, earmarked as well so you know that this area of town seems to be the one that's really developing in terms of the cbd that is so um you know if you if you're buying a business and you're thinking in the next 10 years what's it going to look like well it's actually looking better than other areas um so again part and parcel of why why you want to invest in in the street exactly no that sounds that sounds really probably if you're thinking about that as part of your (laughs) strategy um, I don't know. I don't have too much else to probably ask that I can think of. Is any any other th- stories or th- anything else that you want to sort of bring up on the podcast today, Matt? I think I think it's been quite interesting. I can see the passion for you know for where we are at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know it's, it's more of the wider ecosystem now that I start thinking. You know, now that I own a business, um, you know, my thoughts go to we can't survive by ourselves. Mm. We've got to make sure that the industry stays strong, and yep. uh, that means you know if I've got to put my hand up and help 
the community or going to help other businesses out um, to survive or to at least thrive through through our um, our resurgence or our recovery. You know, that's a really important part, and I think we've all, as as a community, got to start thinking that way. Mm. Um, we've got a few challenges. You know, we're looking at um, our social license, our environmental footprint. You know, there's probably half of our Queenstown community doesn't really appreciate or like tourism that much. So we've got yeah. a little bit of work to do there um, to make sure that we're giving back. Mm. Um, so, there, you know, there's there's a lot of work still to do. Mm. Um, but we've got an opportunity. I think what COVID has done is given us an opportunity to step back and go, right, how do we make this better? Tourism was good before, but we were doing a few things that weren't so good. So how do we take the good stuff, throw away the bad, and make this mm. much better than was before? Mm. Um, and, and so that's my focus certainly for the next two to ten years is trying to make this industry better. Um, mm. So that you know that's much wider than just iFly. That's um, mm. that, that goes Queenstown wide and that goes nationwide as well. So yeah, it's great to see someone very passionate about the area. Been here long enough to appreciate you know exactly what you know what we have here. It's just a fantastic uh, location. I thank you very much for you know putting something here for. That, that's going to help a lot of people out, you know, whether it's people training, whether it's, um, you know, tourism activity for, for the family. Also, a good tourism activity for work groups as well um, would be... Yeah, yeah, um, I mean, yeah. We, we actually do a lot of work with education. Yeah, um, and education. Well, so. one of the areas I found was um, lacking and that was screaming out for help was mm. uh, tourism educators were saying... You know, all the parents and the uh, the uh, careers advisors were saying, "Don't go into tourism." Mm. So this was 12 months ago. Um, so we've got a lot of work to do within the education sector to actually say, "Actually, tourism's a great career," and and we can use examples of how tourism can actually develop a career for you. So yeah, um, yeah that, that's that's some fun stuff as well. So we'll get there in the end, and uh, you know, in a decade's time, we'll be proud of our industry. Yeah, no, excellent. It's been great. It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast, Matt. Or Certainly get it out there in the next 24 hours and uh, you can share it around to the networks that you have and, and whatnot. I think it'd be great. Look forward to catching up with you, you sooner at a chamber event as well. Yeah. So um, lunch next week or there's, I think there's a pig and whistle thing coming up. I've already put my name down before, <laughs> before they run out of tickets. Within, they usually run out on the day. Don't uh, they? I might have missed out then. They're pretty sought after that sort of, <laughs> end, quick. <laughs> sort of indicates how popular they are. Yeah. Anyway, All right, thank thanks you very, very much. much for your time. I really appreciate it. My and, pleasure. Uh, that was great.